All righty, we're going to get started here. Turn with me in your Bible, say Acts 23. Acts 23, where we pick up uh, Paul's dramatic interrogation before now the Jewish high court. And we're going to take a look at that this morning, and not before we ask the Lord to help us. So let's pray together. Now, Heavenly Father, we, we always like to acknowledge our weakness at understanding spiritual truths. We need the help of your spirit who's here with us and longs for us to hear these truths that set our hearts free and change us. We could have a significant, profound change happen in our lives because we're around the living, uh, God-breathed word. And so let us not just hear it and think about it, but to do it, Lord, and be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Watching the news recently, I saw a sad uh, report about a courtroom brawl. Apparently, violent outbursts like that are not that uncommon uh, where people are on trial for serious matters, right? Um, Nerves are raw and emotions run high, tempers flare. And in this case that I was watching, two men, uh, one a relative of the accused and one a relative of the victim, were sitting in the gallery of spectators and then suddenly somebody probably looked at the other one or said something and then boom, a furious fight uh, erupted. Those kinds of skirmishes there are very dangerous. People have been seriously hurt. In this case, in this scuffle, only the prosecutor's glasses were broken along with the deputy's hand. And I can imagine how that got broken. Now, uh, that's the kind of thing that we're gonna see here in our text in chapter 23. Uh, In fact, I've entitled this message, The Courtroom Brawl with Paul. All right, so the setting is the courtroom. Of course, it's called the Sanhedrin, as most of you know. That is the religious political court, the Supreme Court that ruled Israel uh, at the time of Christ. Uh, And are there any two subjects more volatile than uh, religion and politics? So you have a court that that's all they do there. And so we have kind of a, <laughs> a dynamite uh, situation waiting there. Now the accused is the beloved apostle Paul. His crime, of course, is he's a world-class gospel preacher. He's changed the world, turned it upside down with the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's planted churches. He's given testimony. He's given his life over to doing the good will of God, and for this, now he's in chains and in quite a bit of trouble. So last time we saw, just to catch you up, and then we'll dive in, uh, Paul was spotted there in Jerusalem in the temple. A furious mob formed around him. They want to kill him. So they drag him outside the temple by the, the, the steps leading up to the barracks there. And uh, the Roman authorities have intervened and kind of rescued him and put him in chains. Now, uh, last we heard, Paul got that permission to speak to the frenzied crowd who quieted down, especially so because they heard him speaking in their mother tongue in perfect Aramaic. And so things were going okay, as you recall, until they heard something they didn't like. And then, boom. Rumble number two, uh, and there's a third rumble yet to come in the courtroom that's waiting in our text. And so now, as we dive in, the, the Roman commander's perplexed. He wants to know, what is going on with this guy? He's had to have done something very serious. So he says, I know what I'll do. I can't get, the, get it out of anybody here. I'll just flog it out of him. I'll torture him to death and get it that way, but no can do because Paul is a Roman citizen. So he says, okay, back off that tracks. Let's call in the Jewish Supreme Court, an emergency session. So really, uh, as the high court assembles now in an emergency uh, 
session, as I said, uh, they take their places because they are going to now hear the Apostle Paul. So, um, you know what's interesting to me as we dive in is that the, the, Paul was once a member of the Sanhedrin. He sat on that council of those 70 men. He was a Pharisee, and he was one of them. And he was just as crazed with hatred for Christians as they are toward him. So imagine, if you will, what's going on in Paul's mind. He's been in the room before. You know, many years ago, a couple decades before, he sat as one of them. He looked like one of them. He thought like one of them. He was one of them. And now he stands on the other side, uh, accused uh, of what? Being a Christian. Really, that's the bottom line. Forsaking Judaism, being a traitor to the Jewish faith and preaching Christ. So in comes the sound of shuffling chains. Paul, the shackled prisoner now, comes in, the doors open up, and he takes his spot on the X in front of 70 very sour, unsympathetic, murderous faces. And verse 1, Paul looks straight at the Sanhedrin and says, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, was it something I said? No, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, you dare to insult God's high priest? Paul replied, oh, brothers, I didn't realize that he was the high priest, for it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. So let's pause there. If you're taking notes, Roman numeral number one, a clean conscience, a clean conscience. And by the way, we're only going to make it to verse 11 And then we're going to have to see that slide to be continued, all right. Now, here, Paul's bold and unafraid, and there's a reason. He knows he's doing what God wants him to be doing. He knows he's saying what God wants him to say. He knows with all his heart, he's just following the lead of the Holy Spirit so he can come before them with boldness and say, as far as I know, my conscience is clear. I'm not trying to be a troublemaker for you. I'm trying to uh, keep my conscience clean before God. And that's all he's trying to say. But what I like is your opening phrase that says, Paul looks straight at them. You know, there's no uh, averting his eyes or fumfering around and <clears throat> clearing his throat. He's not intimidated. Paul comes in, chained, and he looks straight at them because he has a holy boldness. I love the verse in Proverbs that says, the wicked man flees, though nobody is pursuing him, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Why are the righteous so bold? I'm doing God's will. God's happy. He's with me. He's leading me. I'm who I'm supposed to be. And as far as I know, I'm not doing anything blatantly sinful. I'm trying to make peace with everybody. I'm trying to please God in all my ways. And so uh, those who are right with God have great confidence. Self-confidence comes from loving God. Self-esteem comes from loving and serving the Lord, not loving yourself. Loving yourself is going to get you into a lot of trouble. Amen? Amen. I need a little bit more enthusiasm there. (laughs) Amen? Uh, It's loving God and putting him first and not self first, not selfish ambition, but an ambition to please God that brings such holy boldness. Nothing will take the wind out of anybody's sails like hypocrisy. 
And when you're preaching one thing and living another, uh, you don't have the confidence. You don't have the assurance. You're not settled, you know. And so he just gets in there and he looks straight at them and there's that anointed kind of boldness. He looks straight at them. You know what? I was thinking about Martin Luther back in the 1500s, you know. Uh, he had a stand before a, a really impressive uh, legislature there in France, did he not? It's called the Diet of Worms, right? But that doesn't sound very nice, <laughs> a Diet of Worms. It's the diet, it's the governing body of worms, a city in France. And all his friends were like, man, you're crazy. You can't stand up to the Roman Catholic Church, the Roman Empire and the Pope and everybody. There's only one church in the world, and it's Catholicism. But Martin said, but it's not jiving with the book. Solo scriptura, man. I've got 95 reasons why we got to stand up and say, hey, we protest. And thus came two kinds of people in the world, Catholics and protesters, Protestants. And that's where we come from. Martin Luther had the courage and the boldness at the Diet of Worms. He stands up and he says to them, they say, we want you to recant. You know who's there? The emperor. The emperor, the pope, princes, royalty. We want you to recant of your 95 reasons why we're not scriptural. And he says, unless I'm convinced by scripture, I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils for they have contradicted each other. My conscience, Paul's conscience, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me, amen. <laughs> he escaped. He lived many years after that. They wanted to kill him. Uh, he had holy boldness. His friend said, don't go, don't go. And he said, listen, famous quote, right? If every tile on the roof of this large city was a demon, a devil from hell trying to stand in my way, I'll still go. Why? Calling, the voice of God, a clean conscience, the leading of the Holy Spirit. I was created to do this. I'm in obedience with God's will. Unstoppable. Holy boldness. And so he says, I've passed my life up until this day uh, with all good conscience. And that didn't mean that he was perfect. He's just saying, I, I am trying to do my best to please God. And I I'm serving the Lord with all my heart. I'm devoted to God to live to please him. I'm not a criminal. I'm not hateful. I'm not speaking against Judaism. So he opens up by saying, I'm just telling people the good news. My conscience is clear before God. Interestingly, though, later to the Corinthians, he'll say, but that doesn't justify me. Paul's confidence in court springs from two things that will be helpful to us. Sound theology and, a, and a, a, a lifelong attitude of knowing God and surrendering to his will. Now, when it comes to scowling faces and critical people, you're all going to face them, especially as Christians, and Paul did. Here's how he had confidence in front of the Sanhedrin at the court, but in confidence when his own church was picking him apart to pieces, the Corinthians. The Corinthians got uh, some anti-Paul dudes came into town, poisoned the church that he planted. And 2 Corinthians, he has to defend himself to the church over and over again. How does he have this calm, bold attitude with his clear conscience? Well, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 2 through 4. I love this. Now, it's required that those who've been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you, Corinthians. He's talking to the Corinthians. I don't care if you guys are judging me, or I care very little about any human court. Indeed, I do not judge myself, 
My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. So, so what is he saying there? He's saying, to the best of my awareness, I don't see any blatant sinning on my part. But it's a tricky thing, he says. It's a tricky thing. Because I'm evaluating myself, so I'm a little biased, right? And, and so motivation, he says, it's tricky. You know what? I kind of do my best and leave the rest to God. I don't get overly concerned about trying to judge myself. Because even though, he says, my conscience is clear. He says, that, that doesn't mean I'm out of the woods, because ultimately, I may stand before the Lord, and the Lord may have something to say that I did not see. And so he says, I'm living to please God. Uh, your opinions and your criticisms of me, your judgment, he says, is irrelevant. He says, not that I think myself above it, but because if you look at your verse, he says, I've been given a charge by, not you, by him, and I have to be found faithful because I will be judged by him about that trust by him, not you. Therefore, it isn't the husband or the wife or the boss or the coworker or the kid that matters what your opinion is. It just doesn't matter. Sanhedrin, I am sorry. I can't come under what you think I should be doing because I've been given a trust. And he wants me to be faithful and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Amen? Amen? Now, I have a little, thank you for that, Caitlin. Um, I've got a little story to illustrate. You know, we're just taking a little time here with the whole having a confidence to live before critical people like the Sanhedrin. Where do we find that boldness? Well, if you don't have that kind of confidence, you're gonna, your life's going to be really heavy and burdened. You're not going to get anywhere unless you uh, copy the uh, Apostle Paul. Now, there's this man, a grandpa and his grandson and a donkey, all right? Now, uh, the grandfather and the 12-year-old grandson are taking a journey, and they have to get through five villages. Uh, so he, the man puts his grandson on the donkey and walks alongside. In the first village... Uh, some people are murmuring about them, of course, because they've got to criticize something. So they say, look at that healthy, strong boy making his grandfather walk. Youth these days, no respect for their elders, right? So the man says, hey, we've got to fix this, all right? So grandpa gets on the donkey and the boy's walking. So they get to the second village. The second village raise their eyebrows as they pass, and they say, hmm, a healthy grown man making the boy walk. How lazy, right? So they're not happy. So the man says, hey, let's fix this whole bad misunderstanding. So they both get on the donkey. They go into the next village, and uh, in the third village, several tongues are wagging. And what do they say? They say, look at that. Animal abuse. <laughs> what about the donkey, you guys? You have to get, both of you have to be on the same donkey, that poor donkey. Okay, so they, they consider, okay, we've got to fix that. So they both walk and just lead the donkey, and they get to village number four. Hands on hips, eyes rolled. Look at them. Doesn't one of them have enough sense? for them to get on a perfectly good donkey and ride it? Oh my word, somebody, duh, duh, over there, right. So now, in a last ditch effort to make everyone happy, you can't imagine the shock and surprise of the folks in village number five when into the village come the boy and the man carrying the donkey. <laughs> And they had a lot of comments about that as well. Now, if you're not opposed to carrying donkeys, then go ahead and make your life about pleasing every last person around you comes up with a critical finger in your face and says, if I were you, you should be doing this or that. I'm sorry. Construction, constructive criticism is one thing, right? But all this fault-finding, critical spirit, proud kind of rush to find something to complain about just 
stand with Paul. My conscience is clear. I've been given a trust. I will discharge my duties faithfully, and I shall answer to him. Everything else I will take with a grain or a salt shaker full (laughs) of salt. Amen? You know what Paul can do in short? Paul's looking, listen, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it's a Paul thing. He says, we walk by faith, not by sight. He says, I don't consider so much the things you can see, because that's temporary. I look past that to the unseen things which are eternal. What does that translate to standing before the Supreme Court? He looks past their scowls, their life and death threat. Past their scowling faces, he sees the smile of God. Oh, yeah, that's how you can look straight at him and say, okay, what's up? My conscience is clear. Can we start? Now, God can be happy and your conscience may be clean, clear, but it doesn't mean you're not going to get slapped around. All right? So now to the slap. Okay? That's pretty interesting. Now, the same deal happened to Jesus. Same room. Couple, three decades before. Not the same guy. Ananias, do you hear Annas in the name? They passed it down by bloodline. Ananias, Josephus says, is a bad man, very greedy and um, very self-centered kind of guy, very wicked. So Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests at the time of Christ in that very room. And in that very room, Jesus said something. They said, hey, do you claim to be the son of God? And Jesus just said, there are many, many people who've heard every last word I've ever said. Why don't you ask them? Surely they can tell you what I said. Boom. Hashtag, you're going to regret that. (laughs) Right? To the guy who smacked the son of God in the face, lest unless he has repented. And so the same thing. And then Jesus said, why did you hit me for? Could you just explain that? So I kind of see Paul kind of imitating what happened with Jesus, except Paul takes on a little bit of a harsher attitude uh, than the Lord did. And so Ananias is incensed with Paul's remark. His opening statement, look, I'm falling. I got a clean conscience. And then, then you're the biggest troublemaker the Jews have ever seen, sir. You're all over the world, turning the world upside down. You are a thorn in Judaism's flesh. How could you, how dare you come out in your first statement, I haven't done anything wrong. Boom. And that's what happened. He gets a bloody lip. The high priest says to Bruno, the bailiff, give him a fat lip. So Paul, what does he do? He's just tired of getting beat up, all right? So he loses his cool a little bit. He objects, as Jesus objected, but with less self-control that Jesus used, uh, who, quote, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When, they, when he suffered, he made no threats. First Peter chapter 2, verse 23. Now, Paul's little outburst. Now, the Expositor's Bible Commentary, page 530. (laughs) Paul's momentary loss of composure put him at a disadvantage before the council, like Ananias had hoped. We cannot excuse this sudden burst of anger. Though we must not view it self-righteously, we are made of the same stuff as Paul, and his provocation was greater than most of us will ever face, yet his quickness in acknowledging his wrong was more than many of us are willing to do. Amen? Oh, you needed a little more punch there, too. Amen? How ma- okay, let me put it to you this way. How many of you love to admit you're wrong? How many of you can't wait? You can't wait to say, you know, you're right, I'm wrong. I was an idiot. What was I thinking? How many just can't wait to admit that? Yeah, all right. So, <laughs> so Paul does two things with his outburst. One, he lets off a little steam. <laughs> well, so that's three things. All right, so two, he calls out the court's hypocrisy. This is a court of law. You just broke the law. What's up with that? 
Because it says in Deuteronomy 25, no corporal punishment unless the guy's found guilty. What's up with breaking the law? This is a court of law. You're judging me for breaking the law, and you break the law before you even get a word out of my mouth. He says, that's not right. And then furthermore, you whitewashed law. <laughs> All right, that's where he kind of pushed it a little bit. All right. <laughs> whitewashed law, what does that mean? Well, I'm glad you're asking. It's a lot cheaper to take your dilapidated um, retaining wall that's about to collapse and cause calamity instead of taking the time and trouble to get a DIU, DIU, DIY guy out. What are the, what's that show? Yeah, whatever. A handyman. <laughs> instead of all of that, all you have to do is to take that eyesore and make it purdy with some really thick white paint and just coat after coat after coat. There you go. You fixed your tottering wall that's about to collapse. And so Paul is saying, you know what you are? Behind those beautiful religious flowing robes is a wall that's about to collapse with the cracks and the corrosion. Uh, you're about to go down and God is going to do that. It turned out to be a prophecy because he was assassinated by his own people, right? But you know what I like about Paul? Somebody in the crowd says, hey man, Paul, you got gall, Paul's gall, <laughs> having the brawl, <laughs> took a great fall, <laughs> and that's all, that's all, <laughs> oh, I'm out of control, okay, so somebody, somebody comes near, somebody comes up to him and says, uh, hey, are you kidding me, that's the high priest, and he goes, he goes, oh, brothers, man, I didn't know he was the high priest. Why didn't he know? He has a vision problem. Galatians chapter 4, 14 and 15, it talks about him coming to Galatia with some sort of ailment, and they would have given their eyes for him. So maybe that was his thorn in the flesh. Anyway, he didn't know. They're shouting out. He didn't know it was the high priest. And then he says, it's true. Exodus chapter 22 and verse 28 says, you shall not speak evil about God's ruler. So, my bad. Wow. That softened hearts toward him because you're going to find the Pharisees are going to soften to him. Why? Two things. One, he's humble enough to admit and to apologize to people who don't deserve it and they know in their hearts. Wow, look at that. Two, he loves the law. He knows the Jewish law. That's Moses' law. He's quoting Moses. We thought he hated Moses. Oh, no, as it's written that through Moses in Exodus, I shouldn't have done that. I come under Moses' laws. So now, through character and through principle, what do they have in front of them? They have a guy who couldn't have been guilty of what they're charging him. So you know what, folks? You will always be blessed when you exercise humility. Those who exercise humility will always be benefited. And boy, was he ever. Now, the um, smack across his face interrupts his flow of thought, and now he launches off in a new direction, six through 10. Then Paul, knowing that some were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. Now, a little parenthetical note from the Holy Spirit. The Sadducees say that there's no resurrection and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Verse 9, there was a great 
uproar and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously, we find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. So we'll pause there. We've got one verse hanging on. So point number two, a clean conscience was one, and now wise words, wise words. Love what Jesus said to his disciples who he knew would be facing these kinds of moments. He said, but when they arrest you, Matthew chapter 10, verse 19, when they arrest you, don't worry about what you're going to say or how you're going to say it. At that time, you'll be given what it is to say. And so here you have it, this beautiful, brilliant, wise way to bring deliverance that would have resulted in sure death. He was minutes from being executed uh, for sure. Paul, Paul knows now, with the wisdom God's given him, if these parties, now the Pharisees were the conservatives, and it was very much, in a way, you could think of them as Republicans and Democrats. The Sadducees were the Democrats, okay? Now, the, the Pharisees, theologically, were biblical. You could become a Christian and retain your position as a Pharisee. No problems. That's why Paul says, I am one. I didn't renounce my position as a Pharisee. The receiving of the Jewish Messiah has made me a better Bible scholar. That's what a Pharisee was. They were the Bible scholars. A Sadducee coming to Christ would have to abandon ship completely because their theology was bad. No angels, no spirits, and no resurrection, no heaven. Oh yeah, you'd have to stop being a Sadducee. You know, and that's why they're sad, you see. <laughs> I'm on a roll, okay? I'm on a roll. I got a drum set right there and I'm almost tempted to go over there. And just... <clears throat> so he says, "My, <laughs> check this out. So he looks at him and he, and he turns to the, to the right where the Pharisees were. They, they sat divided, right? He turns to the Pharisees and he says, my brother Pharisees, I'm a Pharisee like you. My dad was a Pharisee like you. you some of you remember me and I sat next to y'all, right? And some of you, they're your sons who are sitting here. But you remember my dad, you remember me. We're Pharisees, man. And you know why I'm in trouble here, guys? I'm in chains because I believe there's a heaven. I believe there's a resurrection, namely of Christ. Now, Paul is telling the, the truth all the way. If Christ hasn't been raised, then we don't have a gospel. He's on trial before the core of Christianity and the spread of the gospel. The spread of the gospel doesn't happen and does, it doesn't exist without the resurrection from the dead, namely our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He will write to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 12. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If Christ isn't raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith and how pathetic we would all be. But that's not the case. So he says, hey, it's all about the resurrection. And brother, we believe, you believe there's a heaven. And so that's how it starts. And he throws this bomb little grenade out there. And one of the Pharisees goes, hey, this look cool. He pulls the pin and bam, right down the middle, like parting the Red Sea. And they go at it. And what are they saying? The Pharisees say, what if this vision, this Damascus road thing happened to him? That could have happened, you know, brothers. What if a spirit, he says, what if a spirit, they don't have, they, they, they discount the idea of God appearing to him through the Lord Jesus Christ, but they say, what if it was an angel or a spirit? 
Maybe his vision happened because it's within our theological understanding that can happen. And so the Pharisees are on the right, the Sadducees on the left, and they start pulling him. Now the Pharisees say, he's innocent. We believe like he believes. We want to go to heaven too. And maybe a spirit did talk to him. And they start pulling and the Sadducees are on the other end. They're saying, oh, no, you don't. Oh, no, you don't. He's a disruptor. He's a rebel. And it says in your text, the Romans have to intervene because they think he's going to be torn in half. They're playing tug of war with the apostle Paul. Only he's the rope. (laughs) That's not good. It's the drummer. I need a drummer over there. It's the drummer's fault. So, yeah, just crazy. So, the Roman commander, can you feel his irony? <laughs> the Roman commander's like, first thing, I, I gotta figure this out, so I'm gonna flog you. Well, I can't flog him. Okay, I'm gonna call the Jewish Supreme Court, because I gotta know what's going on. We gotta get to the bottom of it. And they explode again, and he's like, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what just happened there. So now he can't get his answer, and he's gonna go in and rescue Paul once again from these animals and toss him into a dark cell and try to figure it out later. Now he's in protective care. And verse 11, we'll finish up. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome, the following night, the Lord, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. So one was a clear conscience, two was what? Wise, wise words, wise words. Number three, a friendly face, a friendly face. Paul's in a dark place, but The Lord is true to form, and he shows up just when the guy really needs him. Been a rough 72 hours for Paul. I don't know if you could say that it's the third attempt on your life in a couple days. Three attempts. Uh, Given his testimony like that, angry mobs, rejection. You know, the physical part. Just picture, he's, he's in the cell. Maybe he's standing and praying. That's how I picture it. Uh, he's in the cell, he's hurting. They try to beat him to death. Cracked ribs for sure. Busted nose, right? Fat lip, we know he just got a fat lip. So he, he's in pain, he's hurt, right? But how about emotionally? The rejection, he came to the church, his lifelong dream in Jerusalem to see God do a wonderful healing work bringing Jew, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians together. What did he come and he find? He finds a church of legalistic Jews who reject him. How does he feel? He feels like, I wanted this to be such a, turn out in such a different way. And I'm hurting, I'm lonely, I'm depressed, I'm exhausted. I bet the bed in there isn't really as comfortable as our beds at home. What do you think about that? Probably not, right? I don't think he's sleeping. Do you think he's getting some good food? And there he is, what, pacing, rocking, maybe he's too sore. Jews do this, they stand and pray. And he has his hands and he's just in his cell. He's crying, he's lost everything. And a light and an arm. Say, hey, it's me. Oh, the Lord God who spoke heaven and earth into being, shows up and says, I'm here. Good job in there. You're going to do it for me in Rome, too. (laughs) And you know what? You know why he tells him that? Romans chapter 1, back in Corinth, he already fired out Romans. He's already done with Romans, but he told him, oh, I want to be there so bad. I've tried to get there many times. It's it's really what I want to do. And Jesus says, oh, by the way, you're going to see one of your dreams fulfilled. Arm around God, God, arm around. Hey, I'm here. 
Suddenly, you know, the knees don't feel so sore. You know, the lip, who's, talking, who's thinking about the lip? Who's thinking about the rejection of the church when God Almighty is in your corner, happy with a smile and putting his arm around you and saying, hey, it's me. Take heart, he says. Cheer up, chin up, pal. Be encouraged. Why? I'm here. <laughs> I'm with you. I love you. You're pleasing me. You're walking with me. You're right on target. I'm here. There is nothing more life-giving, more confidence-boosting, more soothing and comforting for the soul to really hear the living voice of God. It, It doesn't happen as often as we like. Why? Because we're not in the posture. We don't put ourselves in the place to be open. Instead, we're in the cell going, oh, I've got a lot of questions now about my faith. All right? Where's the, ver- the verses here, you know? And, and, and all the desires of my heart and all of this and all of that. And where were you, God? And I've lost my wife. I've lost my family. I've planted churches all over the Mediterranean for you. And now I'm beaten, I'm battered, and I'm alone and in this dark cell. Ah. You're not going to get the same kind of comfort and sense that God is with you because of your attitude. He could have copped an attitude. It's very easy to do. It's very Jewish, too. <laughs> Let me tell you. Uh, Let me tell you about that Jewish thing. Genesis 37. Jacob, who's called Israel, finds out that Joseph probably is dead. Here's a robe with some goat's blood on it. Is this your son's robe? And oy vey, he's dead. Some animal ate him, all right? So now he's kind of mourning, as he should, because he thinks his son is dead. And here's what the text says. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for them. No, thank you. No, thank you. You crossed the line. You took the boy. You took my son. I refuse to be comforted. I've got questions, okay? I've been hurt, you know? You know? This and that and this. This is a long list that we can bring up of why we justify ourselves from the greatest privilege of all, from God getting close and talking. And Paul wasn't like that. Paul's like, hey, here I am, open, wounded, in a dark cell. And the Lord says, here I am. Of course he says, here I am. That's his name. Matthew chapter 1, my favorite title for the Lord. And the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. He's saying, my name is Jesus but you call somebody by a name that kind of captures their character, their essence, who they are. So if you were to put a label on Jesus, his self-proclaimed label is this, God with us. I'm with you. That's who I am. I cannot not be with you because I cannot not be me. So if, did you follow that? (laughs) That's who he is. So he's always 100% faithful to who he is because he doesn't deny who he is. He's with you. He's not just with Paul in the dark. He's with you in your dark. He's not just with Paul in the prison. He shows up, here I am. How else uh, do you think you've gotten this far? Think about all the stuff you've been through. Emmanuel, Emmanuel with us. El, God, Yahweh. He's been there. That's how you got here. Think about your last disaster (laughs) yesterday. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Who else has strengthened you? All those thoughts of saying it'll never be the same. Yeah, it can be the same. It can be better. Why? I'm with you. Look at all these scriptures. There's, There's a beautiful psalm. He says, 
I am, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. For fear not, I am with you. There's always a basis for God saying, don't be afraid. He's not just saying, don't be afraid, knock on wood, cross your fingers, whatever. He's saying there's a good reason you don't need to be afraid right now because I am with you. Oh, beautiful. There's more. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you're in the cell, when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, when you're in a burning fire, (laughs) I'm with you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Can we talk about the burning fire? Daniel chapter 3, one of my favorite accounts in the scriptures, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, this God with us. He's always been God with his people. And I'll just refresh you. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, of modern-day Iraq, uh, builds a gold tower image, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. They play a siren of music, and everyone has to bow down and worship him and worship it. And if you don't, you die. Well, those three young Jewish immigrants taken in exile, they said, no way. We'd rather die than bow down to that. So they're like, we can arrange that. So they bring them in before the king. I'll read a little bit of it. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, king speaking, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now, when you hear the music, if you fall down and worship the image I made, Very good. But if you don't worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. Love this. (laughs) Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But just saying, if he doesn't, we just want you to know, O king, that we still will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you set up. So he says, I'm going to play the music right now. So he puts on a little Miley Cyrus, and and he says, bow. Bow to Ashtoreth, the goddess of sex. Bow now. Listen, plug it in. Dance to it. Accept it. Let it take you. And they say, no, thank you. And then you know what he says? He says, how about Beyonce? (laughs) They go, no. And then someone says, Lady Gaga. (laughs) Not going to happen. All three of them are like, no, Lady Gagme. Um, okay, excuse me. This is not in my notes. Surprise! <laughs> so I'm at Bible college in seminary class to go down another bunny trail. And everybody in the class is preaching. We each take turns. And my seminary professor said, after we all finished, said, class, you all need to think quicker on your feet. And he's pointing guys out. You're faster more eloquent on your feet, just quick thinking. Why not? Come on. And then he looked at me and he goes, you, slow down. <laughs> slow down. He said, you're going to get yourself in trouble up there. <laughs> All right. So the tape stops and they say no. So he gets so mad. He says, fire up that thing. Fire up that thing seven times hotter. They bind the three guys They toss them in. The guys who tossed them in perish from the heat of the flames. So the king gets like a vantage point because he wants to see the crispy critters. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. Let's see who's bowing now. And he gets a little view, and and a gasp goes out. And it says the royal officials all gather. Now, from a safe place, they can see. And they say, they're, they're walking around in there. They're, they're chatting. There's some high fives going off. They're having a good time. And then the king says, hey, wait a second here. Count them, count them. One, two, three, 
four? Who's the fourth guy in the fire with them? He looks like a son of the gods. Close. (laughs) Close. He's the son of the God. He is the God, the son, who is with us, God. The fourth man. He's always there. We don't always feel it because we got feelings and emotions and our thoughts, right? (laughs) But you know what? When you go into an attitude like that and say, you know what? We don't even have to answer you for this. Just get this show on the road. But, you know, since we're up here, you know, uh, we're not bowing. Uh, God can rescue us and he is going to rescue us either way. But just so you know, even if he doesn't, we're not bowing. God goes... Oh, I'm coming in there. I'm coming in there. (laughs) Try that attitude. Try that attitude and see if someone puts their arm around you and say, hey, hey, hey. And it's just me, and you don't have to believe this, but I personally think that the Lord says, and P.S., man, way to let Ananias have it in there. You know, the little one-liner, you whitewashed wall. I, I, I don't know. I just think I could hear Jesus say, good job, you deserved it. <laughs> Maybe not, but we'll see. We can ask him. Now, I got an email once along these lines about letting God, the struggle to let God do what he does to come and comfort us. Uh, it occurred to me that we have a choice. You will have a choice when you're grieving, when you're in your dark little prison world of hurt and pain and why me and all your suffering and God wants to be Emmanuel to you, you will have a choice. You will have a choice to do this or to be received, right? Now, I've got a story like that. Somebody emailed me recently and said, I remember a story you told 20 years ago, I'm from Oregon, and you came through Oregon, and you told this story about Emmanuel, and it's been with me all all these years. It's meant a lot to me, and I want the tape. And I said, ah, I don't have the tape. Check with the church there. They did, but they couldn't find it. And I said, you know what? Oh, the Emmanuel story fits in right here. And so for her and for you, I'm going to repeat a story that you know. So the struggle of letting God comfort you in your prison and be Emmanuel. In my own little dark prison of a cancer diagnosis, remember 1997, as most of you have heard, a routine chest x-ray for the school district in San Francisco. Just a routine requirement. The radiologist calls me at home. And says, so what's up with this x-ray? And I said, oh, it's routine for the school district. He goes, well, so what do you have? And I said, I don't have anything. I want a job, but I don't have anything. And he says, so you you have TB or what is that? And I said, no, they're checking for TB. I'm perfectly fine. The kids are running around the house. I have no health problems. He says, oh, you have a big problem. You have a big mass at the center of your chest. I said, man, that's my heart. (laughs) And he said, this is not a joking matter. You need a CAT scan, a PET scan, and any other kind of scan on Monday morning. And so the whole place was just reeling, really unbelievably shocked. The doctors were saying, there's nothing benign it could be. It's either lymphoma, lung cancer, or a cancer that started somewhere else and is now in your lungs. So without a definitive answer, I was stuck in the why me? How's this all going to end? My kids are 6, 8, and 10. Loving wife, a ministry. What's up? And I went into the, the cell. Stay back. How could you? How could you do this to me? Why? Why? Why my kids? Who's going to take care of my kids? Who's going to take care of my wife? Back, back. So I'm sitting in a doctor's office, large and full. I'm sitting there, and 
I'm doing this, and I'm watching the tears fall from my face onto the carpet. And the nurse comes out with a clipboard, and she's calling off names. And she calls out, Emmanuel. I'm like, I don't hear that, okay? <laughs> I know how you want to play a game with me right now. It's not going to work. I'm not in the mood, right? So she says, Emmanuel, again and again. It seemed like a minute of Emmanuel's. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, Emmanuel. Then, while I'm struggling inside to soften, she stands in front of me and puts her hands on her hips and she says, is Emmanuel here or not? <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> All right, that, that tipped the scales, Lord. And in that moment, oh, I just feel, I felt everything off of me and it dissolved and my fears and my what if and all of that, none of it mattered anymore because he, I heard him, he spoke to me, I let him speak to me and now I didn't have to have the answers, I still didn't even know what I had. It turned out to be serious. But it didn't matter. He was there. He says, man, it's not the end of the story. I'm here. It's okay. Emmanuel, Pastor Ross, you know what that means? Yes, I did. Oh, by the way, Emmanuel, that's a nice Samoan boy. He had his earbuds in. So <laughs> finally, somebody nudges him, and up comes this kid, and I'm like, oh, that's Emmanuel. He didn't have, of course he had to have his earbuds in because I didn't have mine in, right? And so the Lord is trying to get through to me. And so I'll tell you what, honestly, from that point on, it was like, this is in God's hands. He, he let me know he's in control. He's on the throne and he's with me. Even if I die, even if I die and he, I know he's with me in it, then I know they're okay I know I'm okay and that it was for the glory of God because I love him and called according to his purpose. You have a God named Emmanuel. You're gonna be like a, like a typical Jewish Jacob and say, uh, stay away. My gray head is going down in mourning to the grave. That's what he said. My gray head is going down to Sheol in mourning. <laughs> and you know what? His boy wasn't even dead. His boy wasn't even dead. All of that pain and suffering, he didn't need to because God was with him and his son, and he had a plan, and it was a good plan. Let's let Emmanuel come in, put his arm around us, and say, it's going to be okay. I'm with you. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. Thank you, God, that you, your grace, you come right in there and you take good care of us. We love you. Now we ask that you minister to our hearts by showing us why it is you're able to be so close and us to you in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a beautiful painting that got painted in the 1600s or so of a lamb that's bound on the altar. So as we go into our communion time, I want you to reflect on this great sacrifice so that God could be close to you and you him. Your sins are not a problem because they've been put on the lamb and the lamb paid. So God is never angry at you. He can never be angry at you because he was angry at the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All God's anger on the lamb, Jesus. So when he deals with you because you're unfaithful in some area, he's dealing with an, an errant child in love and disciplining for your own good. He's not angry. What a joy to be able to know. I got a father. He loves me good and bad, just as I am.
because all my, all my faults and failures are all on him. Lightning struck him instead of me. Phew. He's with you. You're saying, well, the jail cell I'm in is all my fault. It happens. All those sins that got you into the pickle that you're in or have been in were laid on him. So he says, I'm here, I'm here. However you got here, doesn't, I paid for that. Let's go forward today, I'm with you. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, well, I'm a little ahead of myself because you haven't got the, your emblems. So the usher's gonna serve you. Hold on to the cup and the bread until we're all served. And then we will worship the Lord together and then come back and take communion together. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it at Passover. And he said the whole Passover meal, the Passover lamb, you put the lamb back on that, be awesome. That lamb was me. Now, all Paul was preaching that got him into trouble and they saw it as a threat to Judaism was you don't need the lamb anymore. Uh, Judaism was the founded on blood sacrifices and Paul was going around saying, you don't have to do that anymore, Jews, because the cross, Jesus, is the lamb of God. And so on the night he was betrayed, and he's at that Last Supper, Jesus is talking about Passover. It's on Passover, and he says, this is my body. I'm the lamb. My body, broken for you. When you eat of this, remember me, and my love for you. I laid it all down for you. You're worth everything to me. Let's eat the bread. After supper, he took the cup and he said, the new covenant, here it is, in my blood. No longer does God look at you through the eyes of the law, which condemns you. That's why you had to bring the lamb. There's a new covenant. That was the old covenant. The new arrangement is now based on my blood, not your obedience to the law. You can't. You don't make it. You don't live up to it. But I'm perfection. So I'll lay down my life. Be your perfection for you. Be your righteousness. It says every time you drink the cup, remember that I'm with you. And things are okay. And I love you perfectly, even though, because I paid for even though. All your even those and all your what ifs. All paid for. And how sad for you to hang on to something that he freely paid for and suffer needlessly. When the kids were little and I couldn't comfort them on their bed when they were afraid of something, I just felt like, oh, I wish I could help you. And I'll give you all the reasons you don't have to be afraid and daddy's right here. But if, if they didn't get comforted, how your heart feels as a parent to see the kid not feeling safe, they should feel safe, right? Not feeling forgiven when you have every right to go, this is going to work, I'm going to be okay. If God is for me, who could be against me? I'm going forward with his arm around me because he is with me, amen? Let's drink the cup. Praise the Lord. Let's stand. Closing song. To the Christian who believes in the Lord, things are going to be okay. If you have not reconciled with God, things are not going to be okay. So we have an opportunity here to fix that. And it's so easy. And we call it the sinner's prayer. All that is is just saying a prayer that just kind of acknowledges God and your belief and trust in Jesus and you're turning away from your sins and being saved. So I'd like to give you that opportunity. If you're estranged from God, you, you, know, you, you know you're not a Christian. You've never had him put his arm around you. And you want that experience. 
then we're going to bow our heads, close our eyes. If you're here, you want to become a Christian this morning, just raise your hand up nice and high. No one's going to call you out. Thank you. Thank you. I thought you were here. Anybody else? Awesome. A couple hands have gone up. We're going to help you with that sinner's prayer. We're just going to say it together. Just mean it in your heart. The Lord said, you call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Let's pray after me. Dear Heavenly Father, today I come to you in faith in Jesus. I confess my sins. I believe in the Lord that he's alive and raised from the dead. Come into my heart. Wash me clean. Give me new life by the Holy Spirit. And help me to walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. And one thing for Christians, it's on my heart. If you've really been kind of wounded and you're doing one of these things and God, you know God wants to comfort you, and, but you, you, you're doing a little resisting right now, we're going to bow our heads, close our eyes, and you just want to say, hey, that's me. Include me in your closing prayer. All right, as we're bowing our heads now, if that's you, you're saying, the Lord's really dealing with me. Wow. He nailed it. I'm, I'm resisting him. Just flip your hand up as a way to confess and, and to see God work in your heart and life. Amen. Lots of hands. Father, for those who are raising their hands, Lord, help them soften their hearts. Thank you that this is the way to do it, to confess, hey, I need some help here. Lord, accept their cry for help. Melt that heart of uh, stone and give them a heart of flesh. Minister to them life that they're searching for, Lord, and help them to trust instead of drive themselves crazy in their thinking, but to believe in faith that you're working and they could cast their cares upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you all. There's prayer at the cross for those in need. Uh, if not, we'll see you Wednesday night or next Sunday. God bless you.